Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambhutasa Aparuta de Sangamatasatawada e Sodavantaba Munchantu Satang. So this evening is the uh, observance, half moon, night. We have one more week and then the Athala Puja and entering of the traditional Vasa period. And so this is the this is the conventional forms we use. <clears throat> then on the fourth of July is the this will be the tenth uh, year uh, ten years ago we opened this uh, had a formal opening of this temple as many of you remember in which the uh, Somdet Prapinang the elder sister of the king of Thailand came and then the Tanjokun Panyananta my Upachaya, they've all passed away during this, this past decade. Maha, Ajahn Mahasupong from uh, Wat Pudindang in uh, Wat Branch Monastery of, of uh, Wat Bapong, he also, he was here and he's now dead. So, ten years, how does that, for me it doesn't seem like ten years. But, uh, it took me, when I, I remember when I was a child, to, I was so anxious, so eager to be ten years old, that it seemed like I'd never, ever get to be that age. I wanted a two-digit age. And so remember, you once you you've got two digits, that's with you the rest of your life, <laughs> unless you live to a hundred. <clears throat> so in uh, this Vasa is uh, is uh, rainy season, monsoon season in Asia, Southeast Asia and India. Uh, we're here; it's the summertime, uh, but. Anyway, the, the tradition, this is the way the tradition works, and the world is such that uh, the distances uh, from Asia to Europe, Thailand to England are, are no longer vast and take, uh, you know, they're very easy to travel now from London to Bangkok. The main thing is when you're in a tradition is to recognize it is uh, that it is a tradition is something that's 
managed, uh, had come from the past. And so it's, it has, it, it's formed in the past and carried on through time. So this is a very ancient tradition, the Theravada tradition. We, uh, we assume that it's 2,552 years old. And, uh, though that is, because it's the, I think the oldest still existing form of traditional Buddhism at this time. Now tradition is conventions, so it's, uh, uh, you know, traditions are not perfect, they're not liberating in themselves, they're, they're uh, to be used, not to be uh, bound to, not to, you don't just bind yourself to a convention and never look beyond it. Point of any religious convention is to uh, use it for, to seek to transcend it, to get beyond it. So this is where the, the Buddha's emphasis on mindfulness is uh, so so unique, really, in uh, history of humanity, where this emphasis on mindfulness is so it's the very essence, the the the, the most prominent essential uh, thing that we have in Buddhism, in, in any kind of uh, Buddhist tradition. The whole point of, a, of our forms and conventions is not to uh, identify, but to use them for awakened attention. To get to recognize, realize pure consciousness, pure awareness, is like this. The deathless, these words that I use over and over again, uh, ad infinitum, because this is uh, trying to, because the, the society we live in is very much uh, bound by conditions. It's full of, it's all conditions. There's, you know, the society, modern society is all about the individual about values and and um, views, opinions, ideals, uh, what should and shouldn't be. It's uh, based on material materialism, on reason, logic. Now, that's not any of these things are not good or bad in themselves. They like any convention, any condition. It can be used uh, for good or for bad. So our intention uh, with the moral ba foundation that we have as a Sangha is to do good and refrain from doing bad things. So this is about action and speech see, because we live in, the, in human forms in a society. We have to eat, we have to survive. We've got all the, all the energies, the sensitivity, uh, the relentless, inexorable uh, sensitivity of this realm that we're born into. And that's why uh, it's so helpful to contemplate the existential reality of the human condition as you're experiencing it. Not seeing it in personal terms anymore. Take the, the personal out of it. 
but to open to it and recognize that uh, sensitivity is like this. A human body, the human bodies we have are this way. And this, this is a reflective style because it's not saying anything about whether it's good or bad, wonderful or terrible, but it is, conditioned phenomena is like this. And so this is uh, developing, cultivating awareness, mindfulness with wisdom to be able to free ourselves from the slavish attachment we have to the conditions. Now, of course, the, the biggest problem, the biggest obstruction to any of us as human individuals is uh, Sakaya Ditti. Uh, the sense of a separate self. And and this is a, a fetter that's called a fetter, sanyojana. And uh, we can define it as the ego, or it is uh, our, te- our tendency and our belief that I am this physical body, I am this personality, that these energies, these feelings, these emotions, these memories are me and mine. So in the reflection on the five khandhas, this is a expedient means the Buddha used to simplify everything, to, to put things in this, this category of five khandhas uh, in order to, you know, have perspective on the body as an object, the feeling, the sensitivity, vedana, uh, sanya, uh, memory, Sankara, emotion, consciousness. You can't be aware of consciousness as an object. But we are conscious. So we experience usually consciousness through ignorance, through this Sakaya Nithi. And so that our lives are all bound up with me and mine, what I, my appearance, my uh, nationality, my race, my gender, my inclinations, my past, my future, my position, on and on like that. So the, this, uh, this is the emphasis on on how we see ourselves as, and, and a self-view is always uh, one that separates us. To be a, a separate, to be an individual, we have to fully commit ourselves to identity with the conditioned world. Unquestioningly. So people get very depressed, very uh, despairing or very critical. <clears throat> when you're young, you tend to have hopes and and aspirations and we want to make things better and we don't want things to become worse. But as you get older then with all the best efforts and uh, attitudes and wishes and aspirations, if we don't break through, don't see through Sakya Ditti, uh, we still suffer because the conditioned realm is like this. Its very nature is change and unsatisfactoriness. And so in 
Pali Anicca Dukkha Anatta. It's not self. So that's where this whole investigation of self. What is, what is Sakayaditi? This is the Pali word, personality view, the ego. And then apply it to your own conscious experience of, of the sense of me as a separate person. Now, I've told you many times, the sense of me is is something I create in the present. Uh, I have to start thinking about myself. I have to, uh, you know, the unquestioning, uninvestigated life is one where we just operate from the self-view in uh, in its various uh, modes and aspects and changingness. We can assume we we have a permanent soul or a permanent self. Uh, you know that that's the general the, the sakyaditi of I am this person all the time. But then, with the Buddha's emphasis on uh, sati sampatanya, we you know we can begin to investigate that for me to be a, a soul, a person or anything at all, I have to start thinking. I come from assumptions. Uh, what I've been told, what I believe, what I think, that everything I think is mine, my emotions are mine. The sensitivity that I experience through the, through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, all this is me, my problem. Uh, think of, of a modern society like this one where we're, we're obsessed with ourselves our self-importance, our feeling of inferiority, of, of uh, superiority, our fears of what others think and say, and, and uh, all the problems that come from living in a society, relationships with others, with nature, with ideals. We identify with the with the natural forces, with the, the emotions. Like like when you contemplate that that these forms, these human forms, <clears throat> you know, the and the uh, animal world are not that much different. Not that much difference between a chimpanzee and a human being, or even a dog. I mean, we dogs have our conscious. The same consciousness. They have this, their form is, is a dog form, not a human one. It operates. It has uh, desires for procreation, survival, hunger. Gets tired. Has emotions. You can make dogs happy or unhappy. They can be good or bad dogs. And, so on. <laughs> and that's why I think we like dogs because uh, they. That emotionally, they're not, we can relate to them. They, we feel a kind of connection on the emotional level because they're very emotional creatures, as like we are. But the thing, that the gift of the human birth is the ability to reflect. And so this is the what the re- true human form is then, is the reflective ability that 
human beings have that say dogs or animal, the animal kingdom doesn't have. So when we, when we, you know, we can see ourselves as this, just another mammal, which is true, we are mammalian creatures, we can, we can see ourselves as superior uh, and see the animal world as their, you know, kind of inferior forms. Uh, but this is all about thinking and identity. I'm superior to a dog is a creation in my mind, isn't it? I have to think I am a human being and a dog uh, has to walk on all fours. I don't have to. They're kind of helpless victims of their emotions. Uh, they can't reflect on their feelings. They have feelings. They can be happy or sad, but they can't reflect on it. So they're just, whatever, the conditions arise for a dog to be happy, it's happy. When the conditions for it to be angry, it's angry. We're the same. We have the same tendencies. The conditions for happiness, do we feel like this? When the conditions for anger arise, we feel like this. Then the difference, the gift of the human form, then is not in its shape, but in its reflectiveness. And this is what the Buddha was saying 2,552 years ago, was pointing this out, and he called it Buddha Dhamma Sangha. So the Buddha, that's why we can, we can have Buddha Rupas, uh, because even our p purists say, well, in Buddhist time, there never were Buddha Rupas. Uh, still, you know, it's a fair enough icon because it is, a, you know, an idealized human form that we can, you know, identify with the form, but the ability to be awake, mindful, enlightened. And how did the Buddha get enlightened? According to the tradition, the Pali tradition, it was through reflection. Through, you know, the, the story of uh, the Bodhi tree and reflecting on life. Seeing that all conditions are impermanent and not self. Being aware of the unsatisfactoriness of even the best conditions. The conditioned realm is, you know, that's where I encourage you to get this feeling for the conditioned realm. Not uh, as a judgment, but it is, it is an irritation. It is the feeling of anxiety or insecurity that we have. Uh, you know, just this general, before it becomes too personal, before it, it's strongly put in a context of me and my problems. But generally speaking, there is this kind of feeling of anxiety, of separation, loneliness, um, not wanting to find a place, uh, belong, to be accepted, to be loved, longing for someone to, to love me, to protect me, to, to help me. Even before these things become too obviously uh, 
obvious in the mind, there's this sense of dis-ease, of unsatisfactoriness. And this is, this is the taste of samsara. It's not something wrong with you as a person, you know, like you, you have this feeling and, and, and I don't. When you're completely receptive to samsara, you begin to see it as a, as this feeling of, uns- like dukkha, in other words, or unsatisfactoriness. It's not like dukkha is painful, or it's just this sense of, of this relentless changing, this uncertainty of the future, wanting something we don't have, not wanting things to be the way they are, So this is why the first noble truth is based on this feeling of dukkha or unsatisfactoriness. And yet in modern society, I was thinking about my own background, being born uh, in the 30s. And it's interesting to, to reflect on that generation that grew up in the 30s and 40s youth in the fifties. Because, and as an American, because you're, it was, you know, very idealistic, uh, cultural conditioning. Uh, there's a kind of sense of, in those days, America wasn't a superpower. It didn't have that conceit, uh, that it has now, or it used to have. <laughs> Quickly losing it, but, uh, this, uh, the sense of, you know, everything should be, we should be happy. You know, life is wonderful. And the movies of the 40s are all about, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. Uh, just be happy and love and enjoy life. Go forth and, and experience life to it and uh, love everybody. And it's full of this, this kind of sweetness and naivete. And then, of course, in, uh, when you get into university, it was all the, you know, the pessimism. You know, John Paul Sartre and the existentialist movements in France and so forth. Because, but the actual uh, common philosophy of America, the kind of common person's philosophy was, life is wonderful, just enjoy every minute. You should be happy. And if you're not happy, then something's wrong with you. And uh, so we, we tend to think there's always something wrong with us when we're not happy, the way that we, we kind of maybe feel we should be. So getting a, a feeling for samsara is, is, not, is not saying, is, is not judging it. Like, we're not saying is Sangsara is bad, but it is like this. It's this feeling of dukkha. It is this feeling of just restlessness, of insecurity, of uncertainty, not knowing who we are, what will happen. Uh, And it becomes anxiety. Then it can take forms, you know, more obvious forms of more direct feelings of 
breed hatred and delusion and jealousy and fear and that. But before it becomes extreme, you can still feel, at least, you know, from my experiments with this, this sense of unsatisfactoriness, even when everything is okay. You know, it's not particularly when everything goes awry or something goes wrong, but even when everything is all right, you know, everything seems to be going along just fine, there's still this feeling. So, then the, the, the mindfulness is recognizing that this dukkha, seeing it as a noble truth, to be understood. So, this understanding is this ability we have to, to not to analyze or figure out why, what's wrong with me or what's wrong with the world or the society. But, it is, so it's not about how things should be as an ideal, but it's like this. We tend to blame this on others, you know, like the the leaders of the country, the politicians, our partners, friends, parents. Uh, we always, we're very blaming society here. And we're terribly frightened of being blamed because of that. There's a scene myself, you know, real fear of being blamed by somebody. It's your fault, Ajahn Sumato. Because I'm very good at that myself, blaming others. I'm an expert blamer, and then <laughs> whose fault is it? I observed, you know, a long time ago, I observed this tendency, anything goes right. The immediate reaction I had was, whose fault is it? And I started thinking, why do I do that? Why, why is my, is it kind of, it's like a habitual reaction. Whose fault is it? And this desire to blame. And then we fear being blamed. We're critical of ourselves, so we fear criticism of others. And this is all, this, like the Sakya Ditti, this first fetter, is a way of investigating and observing the self-view. This, this, uh, an, an investigation that means looking into, like vipassana, the word vipassana is looking into the nature of things. It's investigation. It's not accepting concepts of Buddhist philosophy or, or anal anal analyzing them. But it's, it's a really, you know, taking the, these teachings, the Four Noble Truths, and, and investigating our own conscious experience here and now. No, just identity with the body. Just see that, this vanity, isn't it? We're self-conscious, how we look, the appearance, the size, whether tall or short, fat or thin, male or female. Black or white. There's so much suffering around about the age. How old are you? Young or old? Beautiful or ugly? And so this, when you, when you're using mindfulness, developing mindfulness, then 
you, you listen to this, this sense of me as this form. My body, my life, my view, my opinion. And, and I, I used to, I spent many years just listening to this sense of me. And I deliberately listened. I always had this idea because we, we never were, could watch television. I used to watch the television of my own mind, the melodramas, the soap operas of Ajahn Sumato. And listening to it, like I was listening, like I was watching uh, something on the, on the telly. Because there's a real, you know, drama going on of, of what I think, what I want, what I like and don't like. The critical mind, very, you know, very developed to, to find something wrong with oneself, to suspect, to doubt. There's a, a fear of, of, you know, of, of overestimation. Like, my tendency was to become self-critical, not to, to, I, I don't have a tendency towards megalomania, to announcing my superiority. I, I, I feel embarrassed by that. You know, embarrassing to go around saying I'm, I'm so good, and I'm somebody important. I find that, you know, uh, uh, something I don't don't think, and I don't like to hear it from others. So the, there's the opposite tendency is to uh, to be suspicious when I do feel when people start praising, giving me. Uh, accolades, raising me up, and then uh, I've got to be careful here because I don't want an inflated ego and, and that. So there's a, a determination not to grasp praise, but also there's tremendous fear of not being anybody, of being despised, rejected, unappreciated, disrespected by others. So the ego is 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 a something conditioned. It's it. You're not born with an ego. It develops as you through your after you're born. And that's why I keep em- emphasizing that consciousness is not the ego. And, and there's many questions usually around the difference between the ego and pure subjectivity. And so mindfulness is mindfulness itself, sati sampachanya, is our ability to be pure, this pure subjectivity, pure, uh, purely aware. And then the ego comes and goes. We, that's the way we have perspective on sakaya ditti. Sakaya ditti, you have to create it. I mean, maybe it's a habit, so we... We, 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 maybe we don't want to create an ego, maybe we don't want an ego, but that's an ego too. Not wanting things to be the way they are is, is still sakya ditti. So you, 
you you know your relationship to Sakyaditi is not trying to create a kind of refined and sublime form of Sakyaditi, but to recognize it is like this: the my the sense of myself, my importance, my uh, tendencies, habits are like this, and that then you're no longer thinking or judging, but you're aware. You're in this natural, pure conscious awareness of the of the sense of yourself. And it's like this. Sometimes it's all right. Sometimes it's you know, totally miserable or whatever. But it bored or uh, negative or restless or frightened or or uh, weary, fed up. In monastic life, you go through various stages of, you know, like any convention, it, you have. You know, you feel, find it inspiring at first, and then after a while you find that, uh, you know, you become critical of it. You don't, you can see many things you don't like, you don't approve of, you don't want. You can think of a perfect convention, monastic convention, of how it should be. So there's a lot of conceit in, in Buddhist circles because you hear people saying the Buddha, Buddha doesn't, you know, Buddha rupas should be thrown away because Buddha didn't teach about Buddha rupas. And so then this is a, this can be a strong opinion and not that it's wrong because the Buddha, there were no Buddha rupas at the time of the Buddha. He wasn't making images of himself. <laughs> Though it's a, a kind of, Iconic form developed later, and but it's an opinion, isn't it? Whether whether a Buddha rupa is a form of superstition, it depends on you. If you think the essence of Buddha is in that rupa, that's superstition. But if you use the the form itself for awareness, then that's cultivating the path. Like superstition, in the English word superstition, is where we project onto, onto conditioned phenomena something of our own view and opinion or something that we might have acquired from somebody else, from a priest or a parent or a monk or whatever. So we can, we can project all kinds of qualities onto the Buddha Rupa blindly or we can be aware, if we tend to do that, then we can be aware of that. Not that it, it's wrong in itself, but it's our blindness, our unawakened ignorance that is the obstruction. Not the image, not even the projections, but it's the grasping out of ignorance, operating out of ignorance that is the cause of suffering. Now, when when we see this, then then the 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 insight is to let go of the causes. But still, even when you let go of the cause of suffering, you still 
living in a human form, human body that needs uh, food and water and rest and shelter and on and on like that. So, you know, this, it still uh, has its, its karma too. It has to get old. It, it, it can be, get sick. It's sensitive. We have to experience the continuous inexorable sensitivity that this realm uh, is, is. This realm is a sense realm. It's all about feeling and sensitivity. It's an irritating realm. When you see sensitivity is being irritated. That's why we, you know, we, ideally we can think of, we can create a, a realm where, you know, a kind of ideal heavenly realm where everybody is happy all the time, but that's an ideal. This realm we're experiencing now, at least from my investigation of this realm, is like this. So it is, you know, the, the physical body, how long can you sit? You have to go to the toilet, have to go and rest, to change postures, pain, restlessness. And now taking this as some kind of personal flaw is, is out of ignorance. But seeing it, this realm is like this. The f- being born in a human form, in a sense realm, is this way. And so we still experience that until the, the the death. It doesn't become sublime in 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 the sensual way, like we live in a very refined sense realm afterwards. We still I- experience the aging process, pain, hunger, and all the rest, just like any other creature. But the difference between an awakened human being and an ignorant one is that we know it. We know what it is. There's a knowing. And no longer are we creating identity and complexity around it. We live our lives and we do good, refrain from doing bad. You know, we live in a way in the society that is, you know, not, not from ignorance anymore, but from wisdom. So our relationship to the world is a moral one. I mean, we live in a way that we're not trying to create division, uh, problems, uh, revolutions. Uh, we're not trying to convert people to Buddhism. We're not here to to uh, <clears throat> dominate the world and make everybody into a Buddhist. We're not trying to convert everybody, intimidate everybody into becoming monks and nuns. Now that would come out of ignorance, but we're living in the world, but we're not, we know the world is a world. We see the world. The world and samsara are the same thing. And that world then is, 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 we experience what's, you know, what we call the vipaka kama, or the resultant kama of having been born and, uh, and our lives. So we have to live with that, with the aging bodies, with the, with the, uh, 
emotional habits, tendencies, and that that we individually have, which can, you know, very different one from the other. But pure consciousness is the same. It's not. It's not, and you can't claim it on a per, in a personal way. Now, when you try to think about consciousness, then you're back into the thinking realm. You know, define consciousness for me, and then um, you know, then we 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 can define it. We can you know have various attitudes about it. But this is conscious. This consciousness is is here and now, all the time. Even when you're asleep, is this they call it sleep consciousness. You're not dead when you're asleep, but your consciousness enters that what they call sleep consciousness. That's why you can even train yourself with mindfulness to, you know, when you want to wake up at four o'clock, you can, you can train yourself to wake up at four o'clock because, uh, you know, there's a, the suggestion is there and the determination. I see consciousness now as, as unlimited, not as, as a, it's not a condition, it's a immeasurable. So then we're living in a, because of this sense realm, it's in consciousness. Rather than consciousness is, is about in the senses. The senses are in the consciousness. When we don't know this, then we project our sense experiences into consciousness. And that's how the Sakyaditi is formed. So, you know, we're told when we're, Infants, you know, your, your name is this. You are a girl. You are a boy. You belong to this family. We are members of this society. So, uh, and the self-view is, is formed. Now consciousness isn't, you know, when we talk about transcending the conditioned realm, it's through this consciousness with panya, with wisdom. Mindfulness wisdom that we can discern. And this is what mindfulness leads to, is discernment or wisdom, where we discern the difference between suffering and non-suffering. In my own practice, for example, this suffering is when I attach to to my thoughts or views or emotions. I can suffer when I when I have when I attach to to my opinions, to the sense of myself. Then discerning non attachment is like this. There's a difference. And it's a, it's a knowing. It's a discerning knowing. It's not about, it's not a perception in the, in the way of a sense perception, but it's an intuitive knowing. 
it's conscious knowing Dhamma, knowing the truth of the way it is. And so this is the, the gift of our human birth, is that this, this Buddha form, Buddha Rupa, or, you know, one doesn't think of oneself as a Buddha Rupa, but this Buddha mind, when we take refuge in Buddha, this is a simple ceremony of Bhutang Zernangachami. What does that really mean in a practical way? It can be ceremonial or it can be practical. And so, to me, using these terms, because I'm in this tradition, I use these, the, these terms, and Buddha is the awakened consciousness, which I'm not claiming is, is kind of a my, is mine. But it certainly, you know, this, this whole life here at Amravati is to recognize this, to awaken and recognize non-suffering. Suffer, to discern suffering from non-suffering, self from non-self. So, the self is a, you know, I'm my my physical body, my position, my memories, nationality, all the rest. I can create a whole. Some people want to write my biography, and I find it increasingly difficult to get interested in such things. Because it's all illusion anyway. What's the point? You know, there is a conventional biography, I guess, that is being written. <laughs> but it's, it no longer has any importance or reality because it's all just memories of the past. What people have heard and what I may remember. Because the reality is not the person. There's no, you don't need to write a biography of reality. <clears throat> now, you might, you know, people have a sense for this kind of practice, but it, it does, uh, you know, we, we can understand the, through words in a, in one way. But to practice it, the bhati-bhata is the real, you know, is the real test, is a determination. A kind of relentless determination, no matter what happens. So you, you know, I was just looking through some of the, I, I've kept notes of Many things in in the past, you know. So uh, various, you know, travels and various thoughts and reflections of my life in the past, and you know, you see whole periods of of, of just kind of determined effort to break through, and and using the situations of my life, the the praise, the blame, that is a part of my karma. For that, the scene is is not you know to keep this determination to use what's happening now as the past you know so whatever it might be 
whether you're happy or miserable, full of faith and devotion, uh, or full of doubt and, and anger, it's this, once you get this sense of the, the, the power of mindfulness, to see things as they are, you know, because we do in, in, in our lives as we, I, I used to hope that once I had the insight, then I wouldn't suffer anymore. Once I was, really had that insight, you know, I'd be beyond all this petty stuff in the world and things like that. I can rise above it and kind of look at it with compassion. But it's not like that. They say when your karma ripens, then who's to tell what, what, how it ripens? We all have our challenges and our, you know, experiences to deal with. The way, you know, the, and they're all different, one from the other. We can't, what I've experienced, I can't expect you to experience. But what the pointing is, is to, is to get this feeling, this, this sense for pure awareness, non-attachment, and cultivate, then that is the path. It's right understanding. Samaditi Samasangapo. So from there on, it's cultivating that in daily life. And you keep keep learning because in uh, you know we have to deal with with uh, with our vipaka karma as it happens to us. So this Vasa, see, there's always these, this, these periods, like the Vasa retreat. It's, uh, you know, saying, courage and strong determination. Really, you know, keep going at it. You know, keep, no matter how despairing or doubt-ridden you might be, just look, look at what is, what you're feeling in the present is like this. And that's where to, to, to the importance of recognizing this power of mindfulness so that you're not fooling yourself like you're trying to get, get rid of doubt you know, or trying to suppress anger or your feelings. But, and then thinking that meditation, good meditation is learning to get rid of things. It's... It, Right meditation, right samaditi is based on understanding these noble truths. So it's not about right and wrong anymore. It's not about getting rid of, but recognizing all conditions are impermanent. So the doubting tendency to doubt. What is, why do we doubt? Because we attach to thoughts, to feelings.
Maybe we expect a lot from monastic life and we don't get what we're expecting. We become disappointed, disillusioned with it because we're expecting something from it and we don't see what we're doing. So when we, we don't get what we're expecting, we become disillusioned. How many do become disillusioned and leave because they aren't getting what they're expecting? And uh, and so it's like you you keep observing. What do I expect from this? The result of all these years of monastic life wasn't what I was expecting <laughs> in the beginning. I'll tell you. But and so, and, and so the disillusionment. Uh, and so forth, is a part of the process. So it's learning to recognize disillusionment, uh, criticizing, seeing the, dwelling on the faults on, of the convention itself or oneself or others. You know, as we can look at each other, we can find all kinds of faults and flaws and things we don't particularly like or want in, in other people and in ourselves. But that which is aware of that, that, learning to recognize this awareness as your refuge, this Buddha reflectiveness as a human individual. So this is, you know, this teaching is for human beings. Now don't think that just because we have human form is that we're actually human. We can, you know, some humans uh, live in demonic realms. We can go from all kinds of realms, from deva to demon, just uh, very quickly, in fact. <laughs> so I mean, it's it be just through ability to create, create demonic states or or sublime states. But the awareness of that, of the, of the best, uh, the sublime, the beautiful, the refined to the horrible, the nasty, the cruel, the brutal, and all gradations between those two extremes, the awareness is what is our refuge. And so the, to, to encourage you to to, you know, this, from my own experience, the determination to, to really cultivate this awareness, no matter what. Sometimes I, you know, I've been through periods where I don't want to be aware. <clears throat> don't want to be bothered. I want some, you know, you know, when life is treating you badly, you just, I want to, I don't want to be here. I want to get out. You, I can get on, uh, you know, I've suffered righteous indignation and being fed up and and that and then that determination to see those, to observe, be this awareness rather than this monk that's fed up. So it's a uh, 
challenge because a certain part of me, the emotional part, there's certain kind of emotional attachments and and it's quite believable. And so this is where this refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, so I, I encourage that because that gives me, the, that reminds me. It keeps reminding me, even though sometimes I don't like to be reminded. I, Whenever I see this image here, Buddha, or I think Puto, cultivating just that word, Puto, as a, as a reminder. So when I get carried away with indignation and and uh, dis- dis- disillusionment and so forth, this reminder, Bhutto knows this, not to attach to it. And through this, you you develop a confidence and a inner stillness that is unshakable. Not, you, you recognize it. You don't create it. It's not some, some special state. You just trust it. You get recognizing it, trusting it. So this paradigm of the Four Noble Truths is a, is a very skillful tool to have. So you can begin to recognize this pure state, consciousness, and cultivating it in, uh, in your life, in daily life. Because it's not dependent on conditions, you know, on ideal conditions, but on you recognizing, realizing this, and cultivating it, developing it, in other words. So I encourage you in this coming Vasa to, to keep to, you know, to really make a determination. I found, you know, to get anywhere, you have to determine to do it because, you know, one has to deal with so many other kind of emotional states. Distraction, duties, responsibilities, laziness, not wanting to be bothered, resentment, fears and all this. But all of this is the path, if you're willing to change your attitude from attachment to these to non-attachment. It is the way it is. It's not a repression or a denial, but it's a recognition, a, a, a profound recognition of the nature of samsara. It's like this. And it's not self. It's, there's no self in it. All the conditions that we experience are empty. They're not, they're not, they have no core, no heart, no soul. <clears throat> but they are what they are in the moment. So I offer this for your reflection.